For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson. Center Court is presented by the Winner's Circle Network in conjunction with the Sampson Family Foundation, striving to uplift, empower, and educate the communities we live in. Now here's Ralph and your host, Mac McDonald. Welcome into the Winter Circle Network, and it's Center Court with Ralph Sampson. I'm Mac McDonald. Another week, and uh, God, a lot of stuff is going on. And our our guest today, Ralph, is going to be way too much fun. How how well do you know Phil Ford? I know he played a little before you. How well do you know him? Well, Mac, I played with Phil uh, at, in Houston uh, when I got drafted by the Rockets in 1983. Phil was on the team, <clears throat> and so we got to know each other extremely well. And uh, play together for I think a year, maybe a year, maybe two years, but um, I'll call him Twirl because <laughs> you would run the fast break, and you knew not to run down the left side because he always would spin back the other way. He'd never see you down the right side, so <laughs> you had to run down a certain certain lane if you want to get the ball. But a great player and a better person. Yeah, he. You know, and watching some of the, which I, I did, you know, this week and watching some of the highlights and the, you know, all that four corner stuff and the ability to penetrate and kick and dish and, you know, and, and, and then he scored, you know, it will, I mean, for him to, you know, he was the first freshman under Dean Smith to start his first collegiate basketball game. And so then his first ACC tournament, oh, he averaged 26 points. You know, I mean, he, he was just a phenom. And maybe ahead of his time. I, I don't know how you feel about that, but but Phil Ford became a household name for sure. Oh, he's he definitely a household name. And he's synonymous with the four corners, right? So right. the thing about basketball, that four corners changed the game of basketball with the shot clock and everything else. But Phil Ford was the kind of guy. I mean, spread the court, just let him dribble like Marcus Haynes all over the place, scoring everybody. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a heck of a strategy from Dean Smith. But Phil Ford will always be anonymous, uh, synonymous to the game of basketball at the four corners. He's like iconic when it comes to, you know, David Thompson, Phil Ford, Magic Johnson, people like that, that play the game at a high level. But no one, I think, especially uh, that I've ever seen, to play like Phil Ford in the four corners offense because no one else did it. Uh, no one else could do it because they didn't have a Phil Ford. How did you feel about the hire of Hubert Davis? I loved it. I mean, that was coming for me. Uh, they took Hubert from ESPN as, a, as an analyst, and he had a great job there doing great things. But he got plucked by North Carolina and, and Roy to be, you know, tutored to become the next coach. So that's, that was going to happen sooner or later in my book, and I'm glad it did. So there – and I know I asked you before we started to record, but so – but that's not something – and I know what Phil's 65, I guess – um, I, he won't mind that I release his age, but uh, <laughs> you, uh, you can Google it, find it. That's but good. you don't think, I mean, because a longtime assistant, you know, under Bill Guthridge and Roy, you don't think he was interested in uh, in being the head coach there? 
No, I don't think it was interesting. If it was, it would have been years ago um, while he was there with Dean when the transition mm-hmm. went over from Dean to Roy. Uh, I think he's just an ambassador of the University of North Carolina, ACC basketball and basketball in general. I think he's happy probably where he is. And Hubert's time is now. And so I think Phil will respect that and understand that as well. Boy, when you look at it, too, when you start to think about, you know, we had Charlie Scott on uh, a few weeks ago, a month ago or so. And uh, when you start to look at some of the players that came out of North Carolina, you know, I know Virginia, you know, they they always talk about Virginia and some of the great players that came out of Virginia with, uh, of course, the guys that we had uh, on last week. But, uh, you know, with Brian Steth and and uh, and, and people like that. But wow, North Carolina was a hotbed for a lot of really good players. Yeah, I mean, come on. It's, uh, it, it goes back from Charlie Scott, as you just mentioned, to Phil Ford, to likes of Michael Jordan, James Worthy, Sam Perkins, and the list goes on. Mm-hmm. Not only, uh, you know, Hall of Fame players, but, you know, NCAA Hall of Fame players and just great basketball people. So uh, imagine playing ACC and Tobacco Road against those guys every year, which for us, it was pretty fun. I mean, I get to play against in high school and high school all-star games against Worthy and, and that crew, but we the same year and get to play against him in college was phenomenal for, for me because the competition was very, very high. You know, when you think about it, when you look at the years that Phil played, 74 to 78, and what happened right after, I mean, you know, the, the NC State was the, you know, with the talk of the league and David Thompson yeah. in the early 70s and then Phil Ford. But, I mean, then he gets thrown into the Olympic uh, team in 76 and wins a gold yeah. medal. I mean, you know, I know Dean Smith was coaching that team, but Ralph, I mean, come on, you're play, you're winning all these games, you're doing all this stuff, you're going to the NCAA tournament, you know, the finals and everything. And oh, by the way, there just happens to be an Olympic, uh, you know, goal that you might as well go ahead and win. Well, I mean, it's out there to win, you might as well. I mean, Dean Smith and, and the Phil and that crew. So, I mean, just think about it, the opportunity to, to be a freshman, as you mentioned, starting in the ACC uh, in North Carolina. Uh, really taking over the ACC after NC State and David Thompson and Monty Tao and Tommy Burleson. But then the Olympics to the four corners, to the Final Four. I remember the great Final Four against uh, Marquette and Butch Beard and Mark, um, uh, I love the analysts um, uh, that were there and coaching there. He always called me the aircraft care. I don't know if you remember that, Mike, or not. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, but it, it's just phenomenal to have Phil on. I mean, he's a great friend of mine. I can call him anytime and get him on. And we just talk about the life and the game of basketball with a passion because he had that for sure. Well, he certainly has leadership abilities. I can't wait to dive in. We'll go to break. We'll come back. Phil Ford right around the corner. This is Center Court on the Winner's Circle Network. Stay with us. The mission for the Samson Family Foundation is simple. We strive to uplift, empower, and educate the communities we live in. The foundation promotes charitable and community input, educational development, health and fitness, and scholarship opportunities. The Samson Family Foundation's initiatives focus on patients with cancer, educational scholarship programs, and give students guidance in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. The Samson Family Foundation encourages limitless possibilities. Your financial support is tax deductible. To learn more, call 540-615-5097. The website is samsonfamilyfoundation.org. Uplift. Empower. Educate. It takes teamwork to make the dream work. And 
actually, I think the game that really got people to thinking about the shot clock, I don't think I was even at school. I think it was the Carolina-Virginia game with Ralph Sampson. Uh, we played four corners a lot of the game. And the reason we played four corners a lot of that game because they had Sampson and they were back in the zone. Building a game plan for life. It's basketball and beyond. We return to center court with Hall of Famer Ralph Sampson. Welcome into the Winter Circle Network and Center Court with Ralph Sampson. I'm Mac McDonald. I'm going to let Ralph do the introductions because this guy, widely considered to be among the greatest, and like Muhammad Ali said, what do you mean one of? I was the greatest. He truly was one of the greatest point guards of all time in college basketball, and his career just speaks for itself. So, Ralph, his name is Phil Ford. We know that. I'm going to let you do the introductions. Well, thrill. We call him Thriller, so, you know, in Houston, when we played together, I was telling Mac earlier that the right side or the left side, what side you didn't run down because you didn't pass the ball to your right because you twirled and did spin moves. <laughs> and you threw the ball to your left every time. So Rodney, Rodney liked running down that lane. You know he liked running because he got the ball all the time. So you, you, well, you, you recall, you recall that. You big guys that could outrun me. So at least I saw you out in front of me. Yeah, they, we, we call that the thriller. You know, that's, that's what he was. He put somebody in the spin move. But anyway, thanks for joining us. And you, sure. I see you down there in that uh, North Carolina blue and, that's and right. North Carolina heaven sitting there hanging outside, enjoying the weather on this lovely spring day. So what's going on down there? Nothing, man. Just a nice day. Just sitting out here with some partners, you know, having a cigar um, <laughs> over my buddy's house, who's a huge Kentucky fan. He's, he's, not a, he's not a Kentucky fan. He's a Kentucky slurper. I mean, that's not fair. He's beat up with it, you know. So I have to listen to Kentucky stuff all day. But it's good. Wow. It's, you know, that's the only place I can smoke a cigar these days and be safe. So yeah, I hear it's that. All right. Well, if you know if he's a Kentucky fan, you, it's, it, both schools are blue, but you got the better blue, right? Exactly. The, the there you go. I, I understand. Phil, what kind of teammate was Ralph? Great. You know, a lot of times when you get guys that are super ability like that, I mean, he had the gift from God with the size, the agility, the speed, and the quickness. He was one of the very first big guys that could not only go on the low block, but he could come outside, you know, where kids play now, pick and pop. He was doing that back then. He could run like a deer. And, you know, most times you get guys like that, they aren't really good teammates. You know, they're kind of selfish. And, you know, instead of building their teammates up, they kind of tear them down. But Stick was the perfect teammate. We, we, we had a black hole in Houston, didn't we? Where's that? We had a black hole in Houston, didn't oh, we? Oh, yeah. He certainly did. did. That's the first one I played with in my career. Going go. in him, boy. It won't come out. It, it wasn't coming out. It's never, it's never leaving. Well, Phil, your career and, and going to Carolina, was there any – when you were being recruited out of Rocky Mount High School, was there any other place that you considered at all? Or was yes. it, it – where were you going to go? Well, I became a Carolina fan when I was in the sixth and seventh grade because of Charlie Scott. Mm -hmm. I was going to an all African-American elementary school when he matriculated at Carolina. And he was the first black athlete to play at a major college, a white college below the Mason-Dixon line. So, you know, I became a Charlie Scott fan and I became a Carolina fan. But my high school career was when David Thompson was at Carolina. And his senior year would have been my freshman year. And they won the national title my senior year in high school. Mm -hmm. But 
you know, I, I chose Carolina uh, mainly because of Coach Smith and, and the relationship that I had with him. And, and I always say it's probably uh, – it ranks up there with one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life because of my relationship, not only with Carolina, but with, with Coach Smith up until at, the day he died. At that time, what was it about Dean that, uh, that you remember that just said, hey, I, I know I can learn a lot of basketball from this guy? Well, well this is how it started. Um, you know, when I was being recruited, coaches can come to your house anytime. And uh, uh, Coach Smith was like the last coach in the first cycle of coaches to come to my home. He was like the sixth or seventh visit. And my mom, who only saw me play maybe three times from seventh grade through seven years of pro ball, she wasn't a big sports fan, wanted to sit in on the meeting when Coach Smith was coming. And not because she thought, you know, he was a good basketball coach. She thought he was the dean of a college in North Carolina. She's a French and English teacher. She was going to take care of the academic part. So she sat in on the meeting, and the first 30, 35 minutes of the meeting, we didn't even talk about basketball. You know, we, we talked about race relations, being a good student, being a good friend. And when we finally got to basketball, I mean, these other coaches have been telling me how much I was going to play on their team if I came to their school. Uh, some of them were telling me that I would start. Uh, a couple of coaches actually had charts where they had names and pulled one guy out. When he went out, I come in, this guy came in, and all stuff like that. Well, when we get to basketball, Coach Bill looks me right in the eye and says that I may have to play junior varsity my freshman year. And uh, when he left, my mom comes in my room and uh, she says, you know, we can trust Dean Smith. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, you don't even know who he is. I mean, how, <laughs> what are you talking about? So she says, well, you know, I've heard you and Big Phil talk, and I know that's where you want to go to school. And if Coach Smith is going to let you go to North Carolina and you are good enough to play and let you play JV and give you a scholarship, you should be happy. And if you get to play a little bit your sophomore year on the varsity and get to play a little bit more your junior year, Let's say by the time you're going in to be a senior, you're going to be a senior, Carolina, and you have a chance to be a starter, you, you can know that Coach Smith won't be out promising your starting position to another high school All-American. And, you know, she kind of kissed me and skipped out of the room, and she was right, and that was just the start of a very relationship, a relationship I had with Coach Smith like a father-son until the day he died. So the JV talk did not deter you at all at that time. I mean, I don't know how much swag you had. I know you were a great, great high school player. Did that talk of JV uh, bother you at all after he said that? Not really, because I, I thought, you know, if it worked out that way, and because I really wanted to go to North Carolina in my dream school, you know, it would have been fine. I didn't think I was going to play JV. I thought I would make the varsity. But as it turned out, I was the first freshman to start their first game for Coach Smith. I mm -hmm. actually started my first game. So it, well, it worked out. Well, I, I know you well enough to say you looked at who was ahead of you at that <laughs> end. You said, okay, great. Well, I can beat I him. I can beat him. Starts. And that guy can't play either. So <laughs> I'm making it. <laughs> you were licking your chops looking at who you had to play against. I understand because, you know, that, that attitude came from a long time ago. So. Who were the guys you had to beat out to start at the, at the freshman? Because, you know, you weren't the first freshman that ever started, you know, in NCAA as, as a freshman because of the JV thing. But I know you were licking your chops. Who, who was out there you wanted to beat up? Uh, 
it was a guy named Ray Harrison who was at Carolina who probably would have, I'm, I'm sure if he hadn't got sick, what happened was he, he got sick. Uh, some mental, uh, I forgot the disease they called it. It really wasn't, um, people didn't know what it was then, but he got sick and didn't play that year. And the only guard, the guards that were left were John Kuster, Dave Hannes, and Brad Hoffman, basically, and a couple of other walk-ons. But had Ray uh, played, I'm, I, I know I wouldn't have started, but I'm not sure if I would have played JV, but then again, I might have. Mm-hmm. You know, here I am. You know, I was a parade all American. I don't know when you came through stick, was it McDonald's or parade then? McDonald's. McDonald's, okay. See, I'm old. See, when I was <laughs> when I was through parade, you know, the top ten players in America, uh, high school players in America were parade all Americans. And I was one of the top ten. And this guy looks me right in the face and tells me I'm gonna have to play JV. <laughs> I don't think I don't think he'd get anybody today with these kids. Exactly, exactly. Uh, Phil, would that have meant? And could you uh, at that time? Could you have played, you know, varsity and also played some JV ball? Would they have let you? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Matter of fact, Walter Davis did that. Uh, went back and forth playing both just to get playing time. Right. But fortunately, I didn't play any JV that year. Although after my first couple of games, you know, when you're so happy to be at a school that you dreamed about going, Charlie Scott starting the first freshman, I was playing so bad, man. It was, I was terrible. One writer wrote that this forward is an Edsel. Big headline. <laughs> you know, it was crazy. So, so what did Coach Smith say after that first game? Because you weren't playing well. I, just, I know he like was a father figure. So he, he had to coach, come on, you'll be better tomorrow. I mean, how did he That's what he kept saying. Yeah, he kept saying, you know, that, uh, you know, he'll be okay. He just needs to get away from Chapel Hill. And my first game away from Chapel Hill, we played at the University of Houston, and they had Otis Birdsong, and I forgot, Lewis Dunbar, you know, yeah. the big six, seven mm-hmm. guy. And, and I had about 25 or 26, and we won the game. And after the game, Coach Smith came up to me in the locker room and said, welcome to Carolina Field. <laughs> <laughs> he knew he had something, I think. Huh? He knew he had a jewel. Uh, I don't know about that. So, so we, 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 got, we got a call. So we're going to do, do a legend here. We're going to call Otis and get you guys on because you gave Otis 26. He, he needed to know to remember that. We got to give him the picture. You know, Bursong, he gave so many people so many. He probably doesn't even remember that game. Oh, no, no, he man. might because they were ranked. They were ranked higher than we were that year, and I, I remember it, it was a big upset that we yeah. won out there at, in Hawthorne. Yeah. So, so, if I'm not mistaken, you and Old played in uh, Kansas City, right? Yeah, that's my yeah. man, Songbird. Yeah, yeah. yeah they he played, played Kansas City, so you don't have to reminisce about that when you got out there. Like, okay, I gave you 26, and here you take that one. I'm sure, knowing him. Well, you know, Songbird gave so many people. I definitely didn't talk to him about scoring. I may talk no, to him no. about ball handling and free throws, but <laughs> not scoring. We change sides of the court with the ball, like we were taught to do, make three or four passes, throw it into JR. JR would kick it out. He'd get a little deeper. We could kick it back into him. He'd miss a one foot jump hook. The other team would come down the court, make one pass, guy shoot a three point shot, and we got a hand in the face, and it went in. So this happened three or four times down the court. And I say, I'm gonna coach a little bit right now. I say, coach, you think we ought to call a timeout? He looks at me with a straight face and says, what are we gonna tell him? You're listening to Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player, Ralph Sampson. Once again, here's Ralph and Mac. 
Welcome back in the Winter Circle Network. This is Center Court with Ralph Sampson. Our guest is Phil Ford, the great Phil Ford, who had just a very storied career, not only at Carolina, in the NBA. He coached, coached in the NBA a little bit, coached at Carolina. Uh, we'll get into all of that. Well, Phil, you got to tell us about how Four Corners began, how you became so proficient in running the Four Corners, and truly the most iconic picture I ever saw was in Four Corners, which was the place on Franklin Street with your fingers in the air. Life when size, you, the life-size picture me on the yeah, four corners. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. When you, you know, nobody up, knows where that picture is now. You're no, kidding. It's not you're in four corners that. anymore. Nobody knows where it is. Oh, that's in a fraternity no. basement somewhere, probably. <laughs> 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 Phil, what was it? So do you remember the first day that Dean introduced this sure. strategy? Sure. And where and sure. he said, Phil, you're the guy that's gonna run this, right? Well, it, it just worked out that way. And, and I'm not being modest. In order for Four Corners to work, it had to, it, it kind of worked because people thought that we were really stalling the ball. If you if you go back and look at the average, Carolina average uh, points per game, my four years in Carolina, we averaged over 80 points a game. Mm-hmm. But what we did in Four Corners for it to work, you have to have five very good ball handlers because think about it. If you got a guy out there that can't handle the basketball, the defense is going to funnel the ball to him and he's going to turn it over. You got to have five very good free throw shooters that can hit pressure free throws because most times when we ran it, it was late in the game, scores very tight, every free throw is important. So if you got a guy out there that can't hit their free throws, you know, they're going to funnel the ball to him and foul him. Mm-hmm. But my job at the beginning was what we call like the tease kind of, to act like that we weren't looking to score. And you know, we did this for maybe 30, 45 seconds, if that long. But if there, if there was an opening, like I was going to take it to the basket, uh, we would get fouled, uh, we'd get a back door. We weren't going to take a jump shot. The only person that could take like a two-foot shot in, in four corners was Walter Davis. But his touch on a two-foot shot was just like a layup. So the rules in four quarters, but he was the only one that could take a jump shot. So we do that. We score. And it was very important to have five pretty good defenders in the game because the other team would usually come down out of frustration and take a quick, bad shot. And it was very important not to give them anything easy. And when they took the bad shot, they rebound it and, you know, don't give them a second chance, come down and do it all over again. And, you know, kind of snowballed. And when you got up seven or eight, you know, that was usually the game. But that's something that we practice on every day. It's, it didn't come, you know, naturally. You know, we've worked on it, you know, with different types of defenses that we saw all kind of defenses. You know, we saw man-to-mans. We saw zone zone presses. You know, we, we saw just different types of defense, and we knew what to do in every situation with every defense we saw because that was a – Coach Smith didn't come up with the idea uh, someone else invented four corners, but I think Coach Smith probably used it as much as I'm not sure if anybody uses it as much as we did at that time. Well, he, he definitely perfected it, but you were the, the the lead dog in that hunt, right? So it was good. Well, you know, it was like in the middle, you know, like I had rules. You know, I, a lot of that stuff that I did, everybody on the team knew what I was going to do. You know, if I went to the lane and you know if I picked my dribble up, I was going to look for a back door. We didn't have it. I was going to pass it and get it back. I was, you know, trying to set my man up to get to the basket to lay it in. But uh, I enjoy four corners. You know, a lot of people hated it, but uh, <laughs> it was just something that Coach Smith came up and we won some games with it. 
well, I know it was after your graduation and Ralph knows it very well, but how does it feel to be the architect of an offense that changed the, that really changed the college game because somebody said, we got to have a clock and we have a three point line. Well, actually it was fixed game against Carolina in the right. ACC tournament that did. It was the straw that broke the camel's back. Right. I think it was 82. And, yeah. uh, you, you were back. Virginia was back in the zone and, Coach Smith said, we aren't going to go in there and try to lay it up against that guy. I mean, <laughs> he tried, we ain't going to let him just stand right there. So we just held the ball. It, it was one of those games where it was really no action in four corners then because Virginia didn't come out and chase. And, you know, we didn't force the action. And that's when the ACC said, we got to do something about this. Yeah, we gave the shot clock and their lovely three-point shot that was inside the top of the key. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was like a layup, so. Yeah, yeah, for you. Yeah, yeah. D. Wittenberg says, you know, he he loved that shot because he shot every time he got the ball. <laughs> you know it, Ralph. Do oh, you man. remember the huddles in that '82 ACC yeah, tournament? We did that. I yeah. mean, do you yeah, remember we what Terry Holland was telling you guys? Yeah, he just said, I mean, we were anting. We wanted to play. He said, just sit back and relax, you know, and just play. If they go, then they will bring the ball up. Especially we were. I think we were. You know, whoever got up, right, uh, just stayed back and did their thing. So, right. So, I may have been up some there in the game. It was like a 30, I guess the game was in the 30s or something like that. But when they got up, they would just throw the ball and we just run the clock down. And, and, and Coach Allen may say, if they make a mistake, then you go get it. And he tried everything on the sideline to try to figure it out. But, you know, you're out there just holding the ball. You just pass it and you make one mistake. They're going to capitalize. But he told me to stay my tail in the middle of the lane and don't move. You know, it's kind of like Coach Smith used to say, we use four corners. And he said, you know, he may not can beat Jack Nicholas in 18 holes, but he make them beat him in one hole. Right. You know, we can keep it close to that 18. So we tied on 18. I got you, the chance. You tied on 10, you're coming down the stretch. Yeah. Is that the way you play golf today? Because I know you I know you out there somewhat. Man, I played uh, last week in a fellowship of Christian athletes tournament, and I was bad for me. You know, I'm, I'm playing at an eight these days. That means you're playing I'm a lot. I'm only losing eight balls around. <laughs> That's my eight. You know, we I'm gonna use got, that one because I don't play I at got all. So. Down from a nine, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, my, my boy, with my boy, we're playing May first at uh, the what is the Dormy Club? Yeah, Dormy. the Dormy Club over in Pinehurst. So he's got a bad back. He's really good, but he's got a bad back, and we're going to see how it holds up. But I'm looking forward to playing over there. Phil, what was what was, and especially I was talking to Ralph uh, earlier because. You know, you were thrown into this hotbed of ACC basketball with Carolina. And and during your tenure, then all of a sudden the Olympics are here and Dean's going to coach the Olympic team. Um, did he tell you right away that, yes, I want you? And what was your Olympic experience like? Well, no, he, he didn't say that he wanted me. I mean, he didn't tell any of us. He had four guys from our school on the team. Well, first off, Coach Guthrie was an assistant coach who was his assistant for 30 some years. Mm hmm. And he was very good friends with John Thompson. And uh, Coach Thompson was another assistant coach. It was two assistants. And we had four guys from Carolina, Walter Davis, Mitch Kupchak, Tom Lagarde, and myself. Uh, three other ACC players, uh, Duke, uh, Tate Armstrong from Duke, Steve Shepard from Maryland, and Kenny Carr from NC State. And then we had two players from Indiana uh, who had just gone undefeated that year and won the national championship mm -hmm. and Scott May and Quinn Buckner. And then there was uh, Ernie Grunfeld, Adrian Dantley, and uh, Hubbard, Steve Hubbard uh, from Michigan were the uh, other three players. So 
what happened was we met, and this when all amateur players were going to the Olympics. About 100 players met at NC State and uh, tried out for a week. And out of that 100 players, 15 of them were invited to Chapel Hill to continue working out. And this is like six weeks before the games. Mm-hmm. And out of those 15, 12 of us were selected. And we took that 12 to uh, to Montreal. But we weren't, we weren't predicted to win because, you know, we were playing against guys that had played together for years, grown men. <clears throat> a lot of the, you know, stars in college basketball then decided not to come out. You know, right. I know John Lucas was one of them didn't come out. I don't think Kent Benson came out. It was uh, Parrish. I don't think he came out. So a number of the big name players didn't come out. But <clears throat> Coach Smith, I'm not sure if he put together the most talented team, but he put together a team that listened to what he said. And as the Olympics went on, we got better and better and won a gold medal when people uh, – predicted we weren't going to win and a lot of people don't remember that was the olympic right after the 72 games the mm-hmm. first olympic basketball game that we lost and i think the united states haven't accepted those medals until even now you know i was with Tom Tommy burleson about six months ago well with COVID, maybe about a year ago and he was telling me that they're still in a vault somewhere around the world because of the controversy how United States lost against the Soviet Union in that final game in Munich in 72. Yeah. And then we come back in 76 and we were able to win, but we were the underdog to a lot of people. Where's that gold medal today? You know, I have it. It's, it's, it's at my place. I, I have it. I, I do lose it from time to time. But I, I, tend to, I find it. You got to figure out what box is in, right? Yeah, exactly. You probably know the same thing. You know, they always but, get yeah. me, my boys. You know, I don't know where my uh, wooden award trophy is. And, you probably don't know where yours is either, but well, I, I, mine are at my mom and dad's house. I I, I don't own mine. They they got theirs, but I, you know, I won the nineteen seventy nine Pan American game with Bobby Knight. Me and I was there with the only two high school players on it. I don't know where that is, but I know my mom got it somewhere. So you know, <laughs> somewhere I, I don't have any of that stuff. Yeah. Inside of a minute now, Ford quickly to Redmond. It has been showtime here late in the second period by this man, number one. Phil Ford of North Carolina does it again. Comes to the free throw line. This is as good as I've seen any guard play in years. What a show. The Winner's Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation present Center Court with Ralph Sampson. Uplift, empower, educate. Welcome back to the Winter Circle Network, and he is Phil Ford, Ralph Sampson, of course. Phil, did you enjoy the NBA in time? I did. It, it was, uh, just think, well, it was very lucrative at that time. You know, it's all relative, and it do something that you enjoy doing that, you know, you think about it. If I wasn't playing in the NBA, I would have been playing every afternoon down at the rec. So, you know, <laughs> to have something that you really enjoy doing and to be paid very well for it is, uh, I think that's a blessing. They don't talk, you know, much basketball, but always impose this question when I talk like Charlie Scott and people like that. <clears throat> With Steph Curry, he would be good, but I mean, those guys playing today, obviously, the amount of money you you and I would talk about, like, hey, I mean, we, we came out the wrong time. Uh, no, the amount of money he's you know me, right Steph, now. I came out at the right time, but Lord knows. With me, two hundred million. Me, I don't know. <laughs> it'd, been, it'd been a different story, but I, I mean that type of money is crazy. We couldn't imagine they couldn't play that much. But they always say, could could they have played? I mean, you know how it was coming down the middle with the likes of Artis Gilmore and boys. That all the time, man. Just to get a point guard to start a play and cut through, 
I mean, you cut through the middle, you're going to get chucked two or three times just <laughs> for general purpose. Just guys let you know. I remember we were playing Detroit when Dauber, Bob Lanier was their center, yeah. and I had beat the guard a couple of times and laid it in, and they called timeout, and I beat them again, and I went and laid it in, and Dauber put me in the second row under the basket <laughs> and helped me up and said, the coach told me not to let you come down the lane anymore. And I said, Dauber, you could have just told me. You know, you didn't have to <laughs> put hit. me in the second row, but it was just a common foul. You know, now <laughs> that guy, probably, he probably get kicked out of the game or right. couldn't play two or three games. It's just a common foul. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I had Don Nelson out in, in Oakland, and we had Kevin Johnson come down the lane. We in the playoffs. He said, Ralph, He's not to come down the lane anymore. And then <laughs> and, and we, he did. And he ended up with a Manupo hit him with a thigh bruise. He ended up with thigh bruise. So they, they won the series. They played the Lakers, but he wasn't 100%. So those rules had to be quite instituted back then. But you could not come down the lane at all. No, it was, it was a, the, the game was a lot rubbing. And don't get me wrong. I think these guys are fantastic. You know, you got some guys I think would play any anytime. But the rules were a lot different then than they are now. Yeah. Yeah, the old guard hand checking, so you were good. Oh man, Quinn Buckner, he when he held you, you knew he was holding you. <laughs> <laughs> what like prompt, what prompted you to want to coach? Did they have to did they you have know, to I, I, I was I was working as a banker uh <laughs> and Roy Williams accepted a position. He was on Coach Smith's staff and he accepted a position at Kansas. And it was like a Saturday afternoon and coach called me to come by the office or something. And, you know how naive I thought coach was going to ask me, well, who do you think I should hire? Like, Dave Smith going to ask me who I think he should hire. He offered me the job, and I never thought about coaching. But, you know, you really couldn't turn that down. You know, to be on Coach Smith's staff, you know, my relationship with him and the coach of Carolina, it was it was very rewarding. I, I learned a lot. He, so it was an immediate you know, coach, yes. Stick, Stick, may, Stick may not agree, but I think he was the best <laughs> coach. <for the> coach. <laughs> no, it's definitely rewarding to get it. But I mean, you, you can't you, – you, you wouldn't go turn down Dean anyway. I mean, whatever no, he wanted. No, I couldn't say you no. You couldn't to him. do that. No, no. What did he teach you, Phil, as a coach? What did you learn from him sitting next to him on the bench? Well, you know, people ask me all the time, what does it take to be successful at Carolina? And I really don't know what it takes to be successful. But I do really believe that if you're selfish, you will have a hard time playing in North Carolina just by the way we play, just by we give up the ball, how we really don't care about who scores the ball we just want the ball to go in the basket and carolina gets the points and not only on the court but if you look at most of the guys that went to carolina i mean when i was there and stuff they are unselfish people off the court too mm -hmm. so i think one thing is selfishness you know you don't want to be selfish you know loyalty is a big thing and coach just always told us when we play you know he wants to play hard play smart and have fun and the only time i ever heard coach smith emphasize winning or say anything about winning was in the Olympics. At Carolina, he never said winning. He just talked about playing hard, playing together, playing smart, and let the chips fall where they may. But in the Olympics, the only thing he harped on was all the time, win, win, win. That's the only thing that was important. I guess, you know, when you only got team, a team six weeks and you're trying to put together guys who play pretty much and the stars of the individual teams putting them together, the main goal should be just to win. Mm -hmm. You know, whatever it takes. But uh, it worked in the Olympics and it worked at Carolina. At so his memorial service, your your story was great. At his memorial service 
about you just that's think a you, true story i think you yeah, phrased it if you could tell it again i don't know if ralph's heard it but no, it's a no, great no, story you know I, the first couple of games i was kind of nervous and, and i didn't say anything and you know the third game came up and i told my wife uh, my ex you know i'm gonna help out today i'm a really coach uh, when i see <laughs> something i'm gonna just let it flow right or wrong <laughs> so the game starts and uh you know, we, we get the ball inside the JR, and he actually kicks it back out. We throw it back inside to him after he's posted a little lower. He misses like a one-foot jump hook. The other team comes down, takes a three-point shot on one pass, got a hand in their face, and it goes in. So this happened two or three down, down the court. So I said to myself, this is a perfect time. I'm going to jump in. I said, Coach, you think we ought to call timeout? He looks me right in the face and says, what are we going to tell him? You know, because we're getting the shots that we want. They're taking the shots that they want to take. I said, that was my first lesson in coaching right there. <laughs> Speak when spoken to, I guess. <laughs> that was my first lesson. So me and Mac were talking, Phil, earlier. Uh, you know, so UCLA, North Carolina, Kentucky, you, you got some iconic schools around the country. But, I mean, you go from – Charlie Scott to you, to Michael, to Worthy, to Brett. I mean, the list goes on and on, right? What makes North Carolina that special? And I know it's the, the tradition, right? And you now you shift from that tradition to Hubert David. The tradition keeps going. So what makes it so special about Carolina that uh, that, that thing keeps moving that way? Well, I think the fact that Coach Smith was such a good person. You know, number one, he's a great, great coach. But he was a good person who really cared not only for us as basketball players, but as people. So that means that he was able to get some talented guys. Now, don't get me wrong. Everybody says that, you know, Carolina had so many All-Americans. Well, we weren't All-Americans when we got there. You know, everybody wouldn't like you, Stick. You know, you could have gone to Annie W. Holland Elementary School and been an All-American <laughs> in college. You know, everybody's not like that because they don't have those same gifts you had. You know, so we became better players. And I think the fact that Coach Smith was there for so long, it created a family atmosphere. You know, you think about 30 years, that's a whole lot of players. You got guys that played in 1965, looking at guys in 1987, and you're running some of the same stuff, and you're doing some of the same things. You have, like, the pre, the pre you know, the mile at the beginning of the year. And, you know, you got everybody calling in, you know, checking who made the mile, who didn't make the mile. You know, everybody had a time of a mile on the day before practice started. If you made that mile, you didn't have to run sprints the first week of practice. Like, but it was crazy. Like the guards, my mile time was five minutes. And, and you know, very so I made it. I made it my first two years, but my last two years, I didn't come close. But, you know, you had to run sprints, you know, that and that first week of sprints was terrible. So you have that. And the fact that, you know, it was just so many guys and Coach Smith is the same there for so long. Then he leaves. You know, Coach Guthridge, and Coach Guthridge was just an extension of, of, of uh, Coach Smith. I really don't think that was that much of a change. And then Matt right. comes in, and he's Carolina guy. And then, of course, Roy, Carolina guy, and now Hubert. And I'm just uh, happy that, you know, a Carolina guy got it. I think it's a great opportunity for Hubert. He's a great kid. Uh, when Walt and I were in the Olympics, you know, Walter Hubert is Walter's nephew. Mm -hmm. So Walter's brother came to pick us up in the Olympics when Hubert was like five or six years old. And we drove from Montreal to Burke, Virginia with Hubert sitting between us with our gold medals around his neck as a little wow. kid. So it, it's just the fact that Coach Smith was there for so long and created, you know, so many, you know, similarities that I, I just think that's a big thing because of how the family kind of developed on his own. 
Phil, what did Roy mean to the program? Coach Williams? Yeah. Oh, my gosh, man. Yeah. Yeah, we're talking about a guy who won three national titles. He's mm -hmm. got 30-some first-round draft choices. The guy loves Carolina. Well, he's won 903 games. I mean, he gave his life to coaching basketball. And we're just fortunate that half of that career was at Carolina. You know, he was great at Kansas, and he was great for us. Uh, he loves Carolina. You know, went to school there. You know, played for Coach Smith. Uh, we, we can never repay uh, Coach Williams for what he did for us at Carolina. You you think he left at the right time? I don't know. You know, you know, you know you think I, Stig, that's a good point. You know, when when they called me, it was April Fool's Day. They were they yeah, exactly. Were trying to they, get a hold of a lot of foreign former players that morning, and uh, Brad Frederick called me from the office and told me, and I thought it was an April Fool's joke, but. When I found out that it was real, the first thing that came to my mind was, is he okay? You know, right, right. And uh, when I found out he was okay with that, you know, I was just happy for him because if anybody deserves <clears throat> to uh, retire, it was Roy. I mean, that guy works hard. I mean, he, uh, he, 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 he really went after it. He certainly did. Well, he, he did it his way, so we're always proud of you know, he did it his way. He knows, you know, you know when the right time to leave. At the college game is changing a whole lot, stick with this yeah. portal, you know, where you can transfer and play the next year. I yeah. mean, it's going to be interesting because, you know, coaches, when they coach you, you know, it, and, and I don't know about Coach Holland at you, but I know everybody that played in North Carolina at one time or another got under that raft, you know. Some days <laughs> yeah, practice, right. Coach <laughs> Milk, yeah, I'm not sure if he liked me. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, now I can go, I mean, we, we got a player from Virginia just transferred to Carolina, whatever. It's yeah, okay, great. You can, you can have it, but yeah. I don't study it enough and not involved with the NCAA enough. So I'm sure they have reasons for doing that. Right, right. Before right. we let you go, if well, an 18 year old knocked on your door and said, I need to talk to you about my choice, I'm a pretty good basketball player. What, uh, what advice would you give an 18 year old phenom right now, Phil? Well, number one, like when I was recruiting kids, I used to tell them, I think that the school that you choose is probably one of the most important decisions you're going to make in your life. But you can rectify that decision. So, mm. you know, you try to go somewhere that you think that you will be happy, even if you couldn't play basketball. And North Carolina, for me, academically, athletically, socially, was everything I thought it would be and even more. If something would have happened and I couldn't have played basketball, I'm sure I would have still enjoyed Carolina. So, you know, you pick the right school for you. You can't please everyone. You know, it just happened to me that my choice in North Carolina, my mom and dad, you know, were all in for it. You know, they, they loved Coach Mill. They thought that was the best place for me. But sometimes you have family members that want you to go someplace else. But you have to go where you want to go and where mm -hmm. you feel comfortable because you're going to be the one that's at that school. Stick with, that, with, with, with that decision, how does it affect you today and what you do? Because I know you're still tied to the school. And when I text you today, you were at a board meeting. What does Phil Ford do after basketball? And how has his uh, relationship with North Carolina built that as well? Well, you know, I mean, by me having been an assistant coach there for that long, too, you know, just adds my how much I love North Carolina. You know, even if I hadn't gone back as a coach, you know, I would have loved Carolina. You know, it's just probably one of the best decisions I ever made in my life, you know, with, with Coach Smith being there through good times, through bad times, support I've received from the athletic department. Uh, I just love going back to Carolina. I love going to games, even though I didn't go to any games last year. I used to go to a lot of practices 
you know, when Roy was coaching. I didn't go in there last year because of the pandemic. I just can't wait to get that rolling again. But uh, to me, Carolina is still the best school. You know, if you ask Whit, he's going to say State. You know? <laughs> yeah, he's going to definitely <laughs> say that. Tank's going to say Duke. You know, you're yeah, going to yeah. say Virginia. So because it worked out for us, you know. Um, I, I, don't I, know, I, was, I don't know if Virginia treats me like North Carolina does. So, I, you know, if I'd have gone to North Carolina, me, Perkins, and Worthy would have played together, I'd have probably been living beside you. <laughs> I can't imagine you. I can't imagine you, James, and Sam on the same team. That is, we got to find that life-size picture somewhere. We're going to have to, we're going to have to With the four up in the air, yeah. go and go on social media somewhere. Phil, thank you so much. It was a pleasure. And sure. we, we really appreciate you taking time today. Appreciate it. You guys take it easy. Bye the now. great Phil Ford on the Winter Circle Network and Center Court with Ralph Sampson. Ralph and I'll be right back. To get into sports casting, you need experience just to get your foot in the door. I can't tell you how many times in my career somebody will ask me, how do I get into your business? How do I become a sportscaster? The first thing I ask is, what have you done? Do you have any experience? And the answer is normally nothing yet. It's because they couldn't find a program that provided the real world experience that you need to get started. So I set out to create a program designed for the next wave of sportscasting talent. And my partner was an obvious one, Full Sail University. Great track record in entertainment and media, great alumni group, and the ability to evolve as the industry changes. We're offering a bachelor's degree that combines the professional expertise that my fellow sportscasters and I have built our careers on with the technologies shaping the world of sports. To succeed in this business, you have to be ready for what's next. But the core of great sportscasting I don't think will ever change. And this program brings it all together. Building a game plan for life. It's basketball and beyond. We return to Center Court with Hall of Famer Ralph Sampson. Welcome back to the Winter Circle Network and Center Court with Ralph Sampson. Our final segment in uh, Stick, that was a great visit with Phil. Uh, you know, really very, very inspirational how much he meant to Carolina. He still bleeds the Carolina blue as, as, as he should. But boy, what a, you know, what a terrific what a terrific guy and just a, not only just a great player, but what a terrific guy for the program. What a great representative of the school. If anybody I know that went to Carolina from the Worthies, Perkins and Jordans, Phil was a diehard, a Carolina blue guy. I mean, you golf bags, golf clubs, uh, a lot of those guys just bleed that blue. It's the ugliest blue you ever want to see, <laughs> but they, 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 they wear that blue to death. And you saw the shirt that Phil had on is that, you know, I'm, I'm going to get him some Puma gear, something because he had the Jordan gear on, but it was a blue shirt. And mm-hmm. so, you know, the most, the most important thing to me with that is very impressive that all those guys, just like, you know, us at Virginia to some extent, I think it's more there than what we have here because they have more tradition and more coaches there that come to UVA and then Dean Smith's history. But they all uh, have the Dean Smith's motto on them, no matter who it was from Dean to Gustrich to Roy and now to Hubert Davis. So that tradition continues. Yeah. And think about this. Phil Ford coached under Dean, as we know, then coached under Guthridge. And then he served as, as an assistant to Larry Brown too. He, yes, you know, yes, he, I yes. mean, when you think of the, the lineage there yep. and who that, who that he got to work, you know, got to work with. I mean, that's, that's really some pretty good, you know, pretty good stuff. Well, look, that's the, that's the way it works. I mean, you look at, I mean, I mean, they did it there at uh, Carolina, and I think uh, 
Duke Gashefki has done some of that as well and bringing his players back as coaches, but also doing other things. And they go off to be announcers with other Duke fans and people mm-hmm. like that. So they have something there that most schools don't do. Yeah, for sure. Uh, before we go, I know you've got something special coming up this week. The Great Community Give will uh, will be this week. The RMH Foundation raising funds for the Hope Fund for Cancer Cure. And I know you've been a big part of that. Yeah, I have. We started with my dad called the Ralph L. Sampson Senior Hope Fund at University of Virginia and Rockingham Memorial Hospital in Harrisonburg, Virginia. So the, the, the Great Community Gives, uh, the 21st next Wednesday, uh, that will be there and everybody can go and uh, do the hashtag great community give and donate. Uh, you know, I was reading something back the other day where everybody around the country, the federal government gives uh, not that much money for youth and, and, and pediatric cancer, right? But if mm-hmm. everybody stopped drinking Starbucks and coffee for just two days, it'd be more money than the federal government gives to cure cancer for, for those kids. And with that money, they probably can find a cure for pediatric cancer. So it's big, big, big for everybody to give. So please look at Community Give, hashtag, and give. Hey, I hope you have a great week. I'll see you next week. We've got some great stuff on tap. And now the the NFL draft is right around the corner and NBA, the playoffs are right there. So uh, have a good time following Steph Curry. We'll we'll find out how many more threes he's got in that tank, huh? He's got a whole lot more going. (laughs) For Ralph Sampson, I'm Mac McDonald. And that's Center Court on the Winner's Circle Network. You've been listening to Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson. Our podcast is available on the Believe Network at BLEAV.com. Center Court is presented by the Winner's Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation. For more information, log on to SampsonFamilyFoundation.org. Uplift. Empower. Educate. Teamwork makes the dream work. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.